So do leaders matter? Right? Any Duck fans in here? Does Dan Lanning matter? Yeah. Any Beaver fans in here? Does the former coach, who's now the Michigan State coach, does he matter? No. Boo. He is dead to me. I will speak his name no more. <laughs> right? Leaders matter. You got a great coach, you're getting W's. You got a bad coach, you're getting L's. Because leaders matter. So we are in the Sermon on the Mount, the gospel of the kingdom. And Jesus began his sermon by what? The Beatitudes, which are the blessings. Beautiful, incredible, brilliant. Love them, right? The Beatitudes. Jesus ends his sermon with some of the hardest warnings in the entire Bible. I call them the bewares. Blessings and bewares, we need them both. Because if you're not warned, if you're not being aware, then all the blessings do is make you a plump snack for the wolves. So Jesus now is going to end by saying, beware. Beware. Get your eyes open, know what's happening, beware. So let's check it out. Matthew 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Beware. Jesus says, beware of, the Greek is pseudo, Prophets, false prophets. So you gotta stand back for a second and say, what does Jesus mean when he says prophet? Because for most of us, when we hear the word prophet, we think about a guy talking about the future, right? Here's what's gonna happen, it's gonna be really bad. That's what we think about prophets. And there are prophets like that. You see them in the New Testament as well. You can read in the book of Acts, there's this prophet named Agabus who correctly predicts a coming famine. And when Paul is thinking about making his way down to Jerusalem, this prophet actually confronts Paul and takes off his belt and says, whoever's wearing this belt, when they go to Jerusalem, they're gonna be bound up and handed over to the Gentiles, which happens to him. So he correctly predicted the future. Does that still exist? Does God still work in that same way? Are there people that can say, hey, I think this is what, or the Lord told me, is that still possible? I believe so. So I've mentioned this one before, I'll tell it again, but this happened to me uh, back in 2019. We had just finished the building 
And my wife and I went to a pastor's conference up at Lake Tahoe. And so we go there and the first couple days are great. And then on the third day, they did this thing where they said, all right, here's what we want you guys to do. Everyone get into groups of three, sit there and wait on the Lord and pray for a word from the Lord to speak to the other two people in your group. Have you ever been in things like that? I hate stuff like that because I'm not, I'm not that guy, right? I may study the Bible, work really hard, look rightly to buy the scripture. I, I, I be prepared, go prepared. I'm not the guy that's like hyper spiritual and like sensitive to God's spirit. That's not me. I wish I was, but I'm not. So I'm like, oh, great. They're all gonna know what a moron I am. Great, right? So I sit in this group and I sit down and we all have name tags. And my name tag is Matt Edgewater. I look across and there's this other guy and his name is Matt and his church is called River's Edge. I'm like, huh. And I find out he's a lead pastor and I'm a lead pastor. And then I find out that, you know, he, he planted his church um, very similar to our planting. Um, I was like, wow, this is uncanny. He's very handsome and, you know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> All right, so to set this up, the week before we had gone up there, staff here, we'd have this discussion about, well, hey, we've got this new building, we've got an opportunity to kind of bless our community. How do we want to do that? And so we had been spitballing this idea about a boxcar derby, but we weren't sure on it. Maybe, maybe not. We weren't sure. So we just kind of, what would that look like? That'd be kind of cool, you know, have a bunch of kids up here, invite the whole community up here and have a boxcar derby. So, but that was in Grants Pass. This guy's in, from Spokane, we're in Lake Tahoe, right? He has no connection to that. So we sit down and we spend our two minutes or three minutes like waiting on the Lord. And Matt Jr., because he's about 15 years younger than me, Matt Jr. is like, hey, I saw something, Matt, that I have to share with you. He said, the first thing I saw was this. I saw you at the front of a railroad car and you're just at the front and you're in the engine and you are trying to push that. You're just all your effort trying to make that car go faster. Just, ah! He said, I felt like God said, hey, step back. I got the railroad car. You enjoy the ride. And you know, I'm like, okay, that can apply to any lead pastor, any kind of leader. We're, we're driven. We have a certain kind of like, uh, to us, right? So I'm like, uh, I'm a skeptic. I'm like, yeah, you could say that about anybody. Big whoop, right? And then he said, he said, but the second thing, I can't even explain it. It was so weird. Because I saw you and there was this festival going on and there's like bounce houses and there's all these kids everywhere. And then, and then what the coolest part was they, they got these little, these little cars and they were racing these little cars. He goes, you know those little cars, you know what they are? I said, uh-uh. <laughs> no idea what you're talking about, man. Uh-uh, if this is from God, you'll know that name, right? So he's like, you know, they build them, they get little round tires, little like steering wheels. I'm like, huh, no idea, huh? And finally goes, a soapbox derby race. I saw you at a soapbox derby race. I just went, oh my goodness. Okay. Here's what's amazing to me. The Bible says prophecy has a certain power. It can exhort us, get us moving. It can encourage us when we're down or it can comfort us. Here's what's amazing to me. Um, when Edgewater started, I would have this reoccurring nightmare. And the nightmare was this, and it's probably pretty common for people in my position. 
I would show up at church and there'd be nobody here, but my wife and my kids, right? Just like awkward, like, okay, well, you're listening to this sermon because I made it, right? So I, it, just, it just happened, right? And it had kind of dimmed a little bit, but the moment the building started with kind of the pressure of a building and everything with it, man, I started getting those nightmares again. I'm like, oh, great, gotta go through this again. When he told me, hey, God's got the railroad car, enjoy the ride something clicked in my brain. It's been four years. I have not had that nightmare since. That just, boom, it was taken away. So that's the power of that prophecy. And I think it's still active today. And that's one side, right? Future, like, wow, exhortation, edification, comfort. But there's another thing with the prophet. If you read Isaiah and you read Jeremiah and you read Ezekiel carefully, the majority, we concentrate on these little sections. We're like, hey, this is coming, right? Gog, Magog, whatever it is. We concentrate on those sections. But the majority of those books, Daniel as well, is actually going back to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, reminding God's people of God's law and saying, you're not following God's law. You need to repent and then giving them a pathway back to following God's law. That's the vast majority of the prophetic books. We'd call them teaching. So when Jesus is using this, he's using it in both manners. Right? It could be a prophet, but it's also look out. Look out for the fakes, right? In fact, Micah puts it like this because this is what the people were gravitating towards. This is the prophet Micah. Don't tell us truth tell us lies. If someone showed up with a good smile and a glib tongue and told lies from morning to night, I'll preach sermons that will tell you how to get anything you want from God, more money, the best wines, you name it. You'd hire him on the spot as your preacher. That's what was happening in Israel. Gathering together, pseudo-prophets, pseudo-teachers, pseudo the fakes, and this is Jesus' warning. Look out for fake pastors and fake teachers and fake leaders and fake podcasters and fake counselors because the end can be really brutal. Has anyone here seen, it's a documentary now called The Secrets of Hillsong? Anyone watch that? Yeah, interesting. Because Hillsong was a international phenomenon, like just massive, right? Grew in 30 years to be one of the most important church movements we've had in the last 30 years. But it was taken down because there's a guy named Carl Lentz. Remember Carl Lentz? Super cool guy. He was called the pastor to celebrity. So here's a couple pictures of him, right? That's Carl Lentz in the really cool glasses. And that's Justin Bieber, right? Hanging out all the time. In fact, Justin Bieber stayed at Carl Lentz's house for like a month when he was having his crazy kind of wrecked Ferraris and wrecked girls' lives, that kind of moment. And he becomes, becomes a believer. So, man, that's awesome. But then it was revealed, Carl Lentz was not what he appeared. They had this issues with women and it took down Hillsong. And Hillsong is nothing like it used to be from just that thing. And if you're at all an older Christian, and you pay attention. It seems like every six months, maybe every four months, there's a big name pastor that is not what he appears. And it's devastating. And maybe if you were a Christian here in the mid-2000s, there's a church right in our town, 
thriving, seemed like a church that was just impacting our community. And the leader was not what he appeared to be. And the damage of that is still evident. I talked to somebody a month ago who said this. That's 18 years ago. They said, Matt, I still can't believe that I couldn't figure it out. I still can't believe that I was deceived by him. So Jesus here gives us five ways, five markers that you should always keep in your mind for every pastor, every leader, whatever it is. You go to a dip, keep it in mind for me, right? Jesus is going to warn you about people just like me. That's who he's warning you of, right? So you wanna keep these five marks for Edgewater, for any church you choose to go to. Okay, let me make sure and evaluate five marks. Number one, they're pushy. Pseudo-prophets, pseudo-teachers are pushy. It says this, beware of false prophets who come to you. You're not coming to them. You're not going to them. They're actually pushing themselves to you. They're assertive in a bad way. Well, mate, wait, Matt, isn't being assertive a good thing? Isn't that good leadership? Well, here's what the Bible says about a believer. It's Galatians 5.22. It says, the fruit of the spirit is love joy, peace, and patience. A good leader is full of the fruit of God's spirit. And one of those marks is, I'll be patient. Revelation 3 verse 8 puts it like this, that Jesus opens doors that no man can shut and shuts doors that no man can open. And a good pastor, good teacher, good Bible believer says, I'll wait for Jesus to open the door. I'm not going to shove people. I'm not going to try to make my agenda. Where God guides, God provides. But not these kind of people. They demand, it's now, or I'm gonna run you over. It's my way or the highway. They're pushy with their agenda. And I've read a bunch of bios of churches that have fallen. And it's interesting, one of the number one marks you hear about the pastor that was in charge of that kind of fallenness, one of the number one marks is, man, he was just pushy. Oh, it was his way or the, you know, he just got rid of people. He fired people. He just, he ran over people that disagreed with him. It was his agenda. He was pushy. I'm so glad that Edgewater, we're an elder-run church. So I don't get to unilaterally make decisions. It's all elders, and it's not even, hey, the majority agree. At Edgewater, it's unity. And it's this, if you get men to agree on something, I know it's a miracle of God's spirit. Let's do it. We're supposed to do that. So it's like unity. That's the only way that we're doing it. And it protects. It protects me from myself. Tuck that away. Pushy. Number two, mark number two of a pseudo pastor, they're cross dressers. Am I allowed to say that? Is YouTube going to cancel me? I hope so. Right? What does it say? They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. They're cross dressers. They dress like sheep, but they're actually wolves. So what do you call a wolf in sheep's clothing? A wolf. Hmm, not as funny as I thought. We'll try again though. <laughs> I thought that was great. This is what makes identifying them so hard. Because they look and they talk, 
And they act, the hardest, smartest, most dangerous wolves, man, they look just like sheep. They don't have 666 tattooed on their forehead. They're not spouting atheist stuff. They're not mainlining, shooting up drugs. They're not, you know, on black tar heroin. They're nice and likable and charismatic and funny and winsome and good communicators and smart. That's the problem. And they're everywhere. They're on YouTube and Instagram and TikTok and they're everywhere. It's hard. Right? They look, they're, they're really good at cross-dressing. You can't tell. And they give you enough truth to cover up their lies. It's the proverbial, they give you and me a spoonful of sugar, make it sweet and winsome and sounds great. And then the heresy just goes right down. That's what they do. And that's what makes them so hard to identify. They say, God is love. Is God love? Yeah, absolutely. Is that all God is? Because when they say it, what they mean is this, God is love and he approves whatever you wanna do. You do whatever you wanna do because God is love. He's like your nice, tolerant, happy uncle. That's what God is. And pastors that are fake, they agree with that. But here's what the Bible says. God is love, but he's also holy and he's just and he's the judge and he's coming. He's coming with a sword. That's what the Bible says, right? So one of the biggest names in Christianity right now, a short while ago, he said this. He said, we have to unhinge the New Testament from the Old Testament. And he's a guy that I've read a ton of his books, listened to him for a long time. I don't anymore. Because when he made that statement, I saw his fangs. My, what big teeth you have. I'm not reading you anymore. Because it revealed something. Really? We're supposed to unhinge the majority of the Bible from the New Testament? Is that true? Should we be doing that? Should we be cutting out parts of the Bible that maybe are difficult for us? Listen to what Paul says about the Old Testament, the part we're supposed to unhinge. Listen to what he says. All scripture. How much of scripture? New Testament? No. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Listen to what Jesus says about the Old Testament specifically. This is Matthew chapter five. We looked at this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Law and prophets is Genesis to Malachi. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away. Has heaven and earth passed away yet? Feels like it's still here to me. Not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Man, you can't get more specific than that. Not an iota, not a little dot on top of an I is going to pass away. What Jesus is saying here is this, this book is going to come true. That this is the way God runs the universe. More than just this book is true, it's coming true every single day and nothing is gonna keep it from coming true. 
That's what Jesus is saying about the Bible, specifically the Old Testament. So are we supposed to just unhinge the Old Testament? Boy, not according to Paul, not according to Jesus. And I trust them a lot more than any pastor today. And the problem with unhinging parts of the Bible, like, hey, well, that one's hard, so we're just not gonna deal with it, or that one I don't like, so we're just gonna, what, what happens then? God can't confront you anymore. God can't call me on my junk anymore because they just say, oh, that doesn't apply to me or that's for some other area or that's for the, I'm unhinging that, right? I become the judge. God can't judge me anymore. I decide what's right and wrong. I eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for myself and I don't need God to tell me anything. That's what happens when you begin to pick and choose the parts of the Bible that I want. And that's a problem for a believer. Here's why. I know you, I know me. We can justify anything, can't we? Raise your hand if you can justify anything, okay? The people that did not raise their hand are now justifying in their head why they did not raise their hand. <laughs> Checkmate, right? <laughs> That's a problem. So, I don't wanna get into apologetics right now, but the false pseudo-teachers, pseudo-pastors, here's what they do, they have enough wool to cover their warts. And every once in a while you get exposed and you're like, oh, okay, I'm done with that guy. I'm done with him. And this one's the hardest one because they look like sheep. So I have people that say this to me like, Matt, that guy helped me. He changed my life. So how do I say, yeah, but he's false, right? He changed my life. He helped me. Hard. I get in trouble for that. So this guy's not popular anymore. Maybe he is. I haven't heard of him much, but I got in big trouble with him. Remember a guy named Tony Robbins? Release the giant within you, right? So I was just like, that's not the gospel. And man, I got people mad at me. He changed my life. I'm a, whatever. I got rich because of him. Uh, okay. It's not the gospel, right? There's no giant inside of me, right? That's not the gospel, Okay, there is a giant inside of me. It's a giant idiot that I need Jesus to save me from. That's the gospel. Jesus needs to save me from me, right? Not release something inside of me. I need it to be forgiven, taken care of, and cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. So it's always, you gotta, okay, okay, bring this back. Bring it back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you have a wolf dressed as a sheep, a person that's actually a wolf, but looking like something else, what would you call that? A hypocrite. Isn't that a hypocrite? Literally, the word means to wear a mask. Yeah, you're wearing a sheep mask, but you're actually a wolf. And here's, I think, the danger for pastors, people in my position. Here's the danger. You guys are too nice. So you give us like liberty and you'll say, oh, I know you're so busy. I know you're on the front lines. I know it's so hard for you. I know you're taking, oh man. And so what happens is we begin to believe that press and we begin to believe that press. Guess what? We start giving ourselves more grace, more excuses. Should pastors in my position, should we be given more excuses, more free passes, more grace? Listen to what James says about my position. James 3.1. A warning. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater grace, mm -mm, greater strictness. 
for we all stumble in many ways. I don't give myself more grace because I'm not gonna get it. On that day I stand before Jesus, he's not gonna say, bro, you get more grace. I'm gonna get more strictness. I'm gonna be judged with more judgment. That's what's gonna happen to me. So I gotta be very careful about my doctrine, very careful what I choose to talk about, very careful, making sure this is as good as I can get it, period. Right? Look out, cross-dressers, and eventually you'll get a look at their wart. Eventually you'll see, my grandma, your teeth are large. Eventually it'll come out and you make a mark of it. Number three, they're ravenous. Jesus doesn't call them just wolves. He calls them ravenous wolves. What's, it, what's ravenous mean? Hungry, right? They have an appetite. This isn't godly ambition. This is needy, clingy, demanding dissatisfaction. Dissatisfied with church, dissatisfied with congregation, dissatisfied with staff, dissatisfied with everything. Just, oh, just kind of just, ugh. And the worst hunger is this. It's when a pastor gets hungry for the applause of culture, for the applause of men. That's the worst. When that pastor has not found his sufficiency in Jesus Christ, and because of that, his cup runs over. Instead, he's got a half-empty cup. And man, all kinds of stuff get put into it because the enemy loves a half-empty cup. When you or I have not found our sufficiency in Christ, look out. So this is what Peter says about that false dude. This is 2 Peter chapter 2. But false prophets also arose among the people, looking back at the Old Testament, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of the way, because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Two things they start to do. In order to get the applause of people, they deny the master that bought them. They deny who Jesus is. What's popular today? Denying who Jesus is. Making Jesus into a caricature, right? Not Jesus is the king. He is the ruler. He is the one that commands you. Now it's Jesus is your bro, man. It's all good. Jesus approves of whatever. Act authentically. He made you this way, right? No deny yourself. No take up your cross. No die daily. None of that. It's Jesus is your bro. God's good with whatever. You deny Jesus. That's popular. Number two, sensuality. Jesus is good with whatever you do in the bedroom, man. It doesn't matter to him, right? Those are the two most popular things right now to say. Exactly like Peter said, deny who Jesus actually is and be sensual. Ah, you can do whatever you want in your bedroom. doesn't change a thing. So if you're my age, you know, there was a show that I think, man, ruined more young men and young women on what it means to be in a right relationship than any other show. It was called Beverly Hills 90210. Remember that? Grew up with that? Yeah, just like horrific when it comes to actually having relationships, actually being a person. Like it's all parties and all money and all sex and all drugs, right? Just, oh, okay, that's good. So we just got just ruined by it. 
But there was one show in particular where Tori Spelling's character is dating a boy and she's contemplating having sex with this boy. And so she goes and talks to her priest. Hey, should I have sex with this boy? Softball for a pastor, right? No, Tink, let me tell you why. But no, of course, that ain't Beverly Hills 90210. Here's what it said the priest says. He says, do whatever you feel in your heart is right. And remember, no matter what you do, God still loves you. And they hug and she goes her way. Moron, pseudo pastor, right? I wish what would have made the show very interesting to me is if Tori Spelling's character had been like, so do whatever is in my heart so I can lie and cheat and exploit this boy and God still loves me. Or I can be a serial killer that hears little voices in my head that tell me to go kill every little boy. Like, that's okay. God's okay with that. That would have made the show much more interesting. And then that guy would have had to do his job, which is actually your heart is broken and corrupt and really messed up. And you need Jesus to heal it. Yeah, he would have had to do his job, but he doesn't because he's a pseudo pastor. And they get by on that kind of stuff, destruction. Once a person is hungry for the applause of culture, hungry for the applause of men, you stop telling the truth. That's what happens. Look out for this ravenous kind of appetite. It's destructive, especially from the pulpit. Pastors that will not tell the truth, they're hungry for the applause of culture. And it's the Achilles heel of the church. It always has been. The church is, Timothy says, or Paul says to Timothy, the last pillar and buttress of truth. If you can't come here and get truth, look out. A civilization is doomed. So look out for ravenousness. Number four, be a fruit inspector. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit and a diseased tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Fruit inspection. Ever go to the produce section of the store and like squeeze an orange? Like, what does that mean? You ever thump a watermelon? I do. I don't know what it means, but it feels good, right? Everyone else is doing it. So yeah, I think that's a good one. Is that what Jesus is calling us to do? Like thump pastors and be like, oh, is this a good one or not? We miss what Jesus is saying because you and I did not grow up in Israel 2,000 years ago. So the analogies that Jesus uses are very hard to understand. So if you were in Israel 2,000 years ago, you would know right away when Jesus is comparing grapes to thorn bushes, here's what he's doing. They looked identical. So we've hybridized grapes and they're nothing like they used to look like 2,000 years ago. But here's a picture of a thorn bush. What, is the, what do those look like to you? They look like little grapes. So the grapes that you would have grown 2,000 years ago would look identical to these. Little, small, purple grapes. But what happens if you eat one of those berries on a thorn bush? I'll read for you directly from a website on this plant, 
in Israel. It, and I quote, I'm quoting here, so don't get mad at me. I'm quoting, it gives a, quote, severe laxative effect. Jesus is being quite funny right here. He says, if you start listening to these false guys and start eating what they're feeding you, guess what's gonna happen to you? You're gonna have a blowout. That's what's gonna happen to you. It's actually quite humorous. And there was a thistle that produced a flower that looked exactly like a fig. What is Jesus saying? Look out for counterfeits. Look out for the counterfeits. So how in the world do we become the kind of people that can spot a counterfeit, right? If there's a bowl of those with a bowl of grapes, how am I gonna know which is which? I think this is how. So when I went to college, two summers in a row, I worked in Alaska and went up there. First time, not really uh, salmon fishermen, didn't really know salmon. Turns out there's five species of salmon. There's Chinook and there's Silvers and there's uh, Sockeye and there's Chum and they're pink. And so uh, people would go out, we would do 400,000 pounds of salmon every single day. Like it's just unbelievable up there. So uh, my job as a slimer, I just would grab a fish, clean it up from a top conveyor belt, put it on a lower conveyor belt. And I do that for anywhere from 16 to 20 hours a day, seven days a week. It was like one of the be- most record years they ever had. Well, the way they get the salmon to me was they would... Um, had this gigantic vacuum. It's about two feet in diameter. And they would stick it down in the hole of this big hundred foot tender. And it would suck all the salmon out, transport them along this two foot diameter hose all the way up to what was called the sorting table. And the sorting table was a four foot wide um, conveyor belt. And the salmon would just spit out onto it like a river of salmon coming out. It had rails on the side. And then there'd be four men and they would be standing there, and each man had a species of fish. And across the conveyor belt was a giant, like, 5,000-gallon tank. And they would be flipping their species and only their species into the tank on the other side. And you're talking three, four, five fish a second. Like, the speed these guys could go, unbelievable, right? Each one, one species, uh, only four because the final tank just took all the rest. It was you watch, we used to go up on our break when I, when I was first there and watch these guys do what they did because it was just unbelievable. How in the world can you look at this river of fish coming at you and spot your species and toss it into that tank? We're just like, oh, that's so cool, right? Coolest job. So 30 days in, I'm a month in, been working 100 hours a week. Like that, that was minimum. It was seven days a week, 100 hours a week. Um, I'm there, I'm sliming away. I get a tap on my shoulder. I turn around, it's one of the sorters. He goes, hey, one of our guys is sick. We need you to come up and sort. I said, uh-uh, dude, no way. I can't do that job. This is what he said to me. Oh yeah, you can. You're ready. Okay. <laughs> right? <laughs> so I walk up there and I'm like, you know, I, like, I don't get nervous for jobs. I was nervous because you don't stop the river. It just comes. Like there's, you, you got to get the fish in the right tank. So I'm like, oh, okay. Just heart is pounding out of my chest as I'm waiting because you can hear it. Like it starts, you can hear it because it just echoes out of this tube. You hear it just going, it's coming. So I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Boom, I'm on chum. That's my job. Man, this river of salmon comes. The most incredible thing happened. All I saw were the chum. 
I saw no other species of fish except for chum. There's all other kinds of species, but I saw only the chum. It was like ding, 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 and I just started working. It was the best day of work in my life. I could not believe I was able to do it. I was like, whoa, I am ready. Wow, what got me ready? 500 hours of handling the real thing. That's what got me ready. Oh, month earlier, I couldn't choose. I couldn't have picked out of a line. I couldn't spend an hour and tell you what fish is what fish. Now, without even thinking, second nature, I'm just flicking five, six salmon a second into the tank in front of me because I handled the real thing. How do you and I possibly tell a grape from a thornberry? You got to handle the right thing. Paul says this about a group of people in Acts 17. He says, the folks at Berea were more noble than those at Thessalonica because they listened to what Paul said and they went home and searched the scriptures to make sure it was true. You ever seen those little like Berean Baptist church? That's what they're saying. We wanna be the group of people that are so immersed in the story of Jesus that we know a fake when we see it because we're immersed in it. It's second nature. We know it. That's how you become a fruit inspector. You're immersed in this story and anything that's countered it, you're like, no, that ain't right. That ain't right. And the last mark, the last way to identify Jesus gives, time. You plant a fruit tree, how long does it take to get fruit? About three years. Or let's say right now, if you're walking around and, and someone has some trees, are you able to tell by the bark, like, hey, this is a golden delicious apple tree? Maybe you are, I'm not, I can't do that. But guess what I can do? In August, when it has fruit on it, I can tell you it's a golden delicious apple tree, but it takes time. The best thing you can ever do for a pastor or a church or other people is this, give them time. Does every single piece of fruit on a good tree, is it all good? Or is sometimes there a rotten piece of fruit on a tree? Yeah, you might have a rotten piece of fruit, right? So if you go to a different church and it's a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church, not a heresy church, Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church, the most gracious gift you can ever give to that church is say, I'll give you a season, not a Sunday. Because maybe that Sunday is a bad fruit. And the only way you evaluate somebody is to give them a month or two months or a certain amount of time and say, I'm gonna give you a season, right? Same thing I gift I give to you, right? Maybe you had a bad day, that's why something happened, or a bad month, or a bad year, right? I'm gonna give you time. That's the most gracious gift you can ever give someone. Because the gospel does not demand perfection. I've had rotten ideas. I'm glad I'm not judged by those rotten ideas. I hope I've had some good fruitful ideas as well, right? We give people time to know. Is it a good tree or a bad tree? Because the gospel does not demand perfection. It demands participation and growth and movement, no doubt. Were the disciples perfect? Oh my goodness, read the gospels. You're like, why, Jesus, did you choose these people? He calls them little faith so many times it becomes their nickname. They hear little faith, they're like, yeah, what do you want? Right, they deny they argue about who's the greatest. They want to call down lightning on a village because they're offended by it. They're like, oh, you guys are morons. They betray, they run off. 
because Jesus doesn't demand perfection. He demands, hey, no doubt participation and growth and movement. But you give people time. Allow them to be evaluated. Give them a season of grace. Right? Here's how you identify. Right? Are they pushy? Are they cross-dressers? Are they ravenous? Inspect their fruit and give them time. 